0: Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Last Sunday, I read Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And it talked about how Paul not only had a desire, but he also prayed. And I encouraged people to come out uh, Monday morning to the prayer time. And so we went from about six or eight people to over 30 people at the prayer meeting. And we'd love to see you come out. My wife and I will be there this Monday, and we'd love to pray with you the way we do it as we get together. There's a devotion. And then in small groups and tables in the reception hall, we just pray. We pray for what's going on in our world with the virus. We pray for the abortion situation. We pray for individual needs. We pray for our world. I mean, uh, the world is connected, isn't it? When you see this whole virus thing going on, you think, oh my gosh, it's not just China, it's the world. And we need to be praying that God will use this in a way to reveal himself and to draw people to himself. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to come out on Monday mornings at 6:30, and pray together. I believe it's so important. Um, it, it's it's a time I think in our culture in our world to to join together and pray. And saying that, before we get into the message, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us today. We thank you for it. We pray that it would. Um, Speak to our hearts in a fresh new way, that you would awaken us, Lord, to not only your truth, but your desire for us to walk in it, to be committed to you and to the words that you've spoken to us, that our hearts would be wide open to hear your voice and to be surrendered and obedient to it. Lord, help us not to be hearers only, but doers of your word. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A man was carrying two buckets of fish and he was stopped by a game warden while leaving a northern Michigan lake well known for its fishing. The game warden asked the man, do you have a license for those fish? And the man replied, well, no sir, Uh, these fish here in this bucket, they're pet fish. And he goes, really? Yes sir, every night I, I take these fish down to the lake and let them swim around for a while. I whistle and they jump back in the bucket. The game warden looked at him and said, huh, that's a bunch of baloney, fish can't do that. The man looked at the game warden for a moment and then said, well, I'll show you, it works. Okay, I gotta see this, he said. And the, the man goes back down to the lake, the warden follows him, he pours the fish into the lake. He stood patiently watching, And the game warden looked over at him and said, When are you going to whistle? He goes, Whistle for what? He goes, The fish. He goes, What fish? (laughs) (laughs) He, he, He refused to admit that there were fish. You know, in Romans chapter 10, Paul uses an interesting word. And I want you to hear it. Not only does he say his heart's for Israel, his prayer's for Israel, and he says, I bear them witness, verse two, that they have a zeal for, for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he says this, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You, you want to stop there and say, Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Did Paul just call the Jews? ignorant Uh, nobody really likes to be called ignorant i don't think the the synonym for ignorant is uninformed unenlightened unenlightened unknowing and and the actual meaning of this greek word means not only that you don't know but you refuse to know kind of like this fisherman he he refused to admit he refused to know that the fish were illegal. Paul says these Jewish people are ignorant of God's righteousness. They knew the prophecy. It's their Bible. They saw the miracles. They heard him teach. They, 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 many of them were aware of the resurrection. In fact, they tried to cover it up. But it says they were ignorant. They didn't know, they refused to know the true righteousness of God. The Jews, mankind in general, and and especially even Americans, it seems, want to earn God's approval, want to somehow work for it. That there's something that, that we can do that makes God more loving, that makes him kinder or will allow us to go to heaven. You know, God, if I do this and this and really do it well, I remember as a new Christian, being about 18, 19 years old, I I got one of my first real jobs. I'd always kind of worked in a surf shop and never, not that that's not a real job, but for me it wasn't a real job. And I got a job at a movie theater, the first multiplex theater in Pensacola, and I was an usher. You know, they don't have ushers anymore, but back then you had to wear a little red coat and walk down the aisle to make sure everything was cool, people were safe, and weird stuff wasn't happening. Now they don't care if weird stuff's happening or they don't want to know. So I would do that and also take tickets. And there was this one girl who, who was the main ticket taker. I can't remember her name, but I was single at that time. I was young and she was very pretty and she wanted me to teach her how to drive a stick shift. And I had a little Volkswagen. So I'd come early sometime and she would too. And I'd try to teach her how to drive a stick shift. It was a nightmare trying to teach her how to do that. Well, she was kind of cute. And I remember inviting her to church. I was a young Christian. I didn't know much about the Bible or, or salvation, except that I had experienced it, and I was excited about it. And, and I said, hey, you know, would, would you like to come to church on a Sunday with me? And she said, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. I said, yeah, okay. She said, and, and I was confirmed. And I said, well, why, no, I, I'm, why don't you come to, and I try to tell her how I got saved. And she said, oh, I've done all that already. I don't need that anymore. She was really ignorant of what true salvation was, of what it meant to be made righteous by the cross. Paul himself at one time, as you know and remember, was ignorant of God's righteousness. He was persecuting the church. I mean, he was a rabbi, he was a scholar, and he met Jesus, as you may know, you may remember, on the Damascus Road. And for three days, he was struck blind. And it was symbolic, I believe, of his spiritual blindness, physically now blind, but also God was saying, Paul, you're spiritually blind. And there is such a thing as spiritual blindness. Paul persecuted the church and even made this statement in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It tells us this, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You know, I've been to Israel quite a few times now, and I love going there for a lot of reasons. And if you know anything about the Jewish people, those in Israel and those outside of Israel, they're really some of the most scholarly and brilliant, very smart people in the world. One one statistic I read was that the Jews make up one-tenth of one percent of the world's population, but they have 25 to 33 percent of all the Nobel Prizes ever won. Now that's an impressive percentage, an impressive statement. They hold 30% of the awards for music, science, and literature. They have enormous medical geniuses in their race, in their nation. But there's a huge disconnect when it comes to their own understanding of their own scripture and their Jewish Messiah. He came according to their scripture. For they, verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Knowing the truth is extremely important in life. It's extremely important when it comes to eternal life. I mean, in life, you want to know the truth. You want to know the truth about yourself. Sometimes it's hard to hear, but you want to know it. You want to know the truth about the world, about God, about the coronavirus, about the presidential candidates. You want to know the truth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Jesus said this in verse 14. He said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and full of truth. Here's the Messiah. He comes full of grace, full of truth, and that's who God is. God's full of grace and he's full of truth. And he reveals that truth to us. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it tells us Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word you're my disciples and you shall know the what? truth and the truth shall make you free. And so here comes the Messiah full of grace and truth and sharing truth about God's mercy and his kindness and how you can find salvation. I mean Jesus would say of himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life and no one will come to the Father except through me. If you follow me, if you believe in me, in fact, Jesus says in John chapter 16, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. God's all about truth. He is truth. Jesus prayed for his disciples and you and I in the garden in John chapter 17. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so the Lord speaks truth to us. He is truth. And there's never been a nation. Listen. There's never been a nation more about the truth than the nation Israel. I mean, The one true God is who they worshipped. When all the other nations around them were worshipping multiple pagan gods that were not true, they were known as the nation who worshipped one God. And they proclaimed him as the one true God. In in essence, the Bible, the, the truth, the word of God, was committed to the Jews. They received it. They wrote it down. The whole New Testament is all written by Jews except for two Books, uh, Luke and Acts, Old and New Testament promises, prophecies. Uh, back in Romans chapter nine, verse four, we we have we have this this passage. Who are the Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises? The law, the promises. All these things were given to Israel. I mean. They were someone who had the truth deposited into their life like no other, from very young children. And this is still true today. They're taught the truth of the scriptures. The Jews will train their children at a young age to memorize huge sex sections of the Old Testament. It's amazing if you ever get to talk to a young Jewish child, they can rattle off chapters of the Old Testament. I mean, Paul would say of Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, and that from childhood, and this has been carried on to today, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Timothy learned it at the knee of his grandmother. And this is what happens even today. It's a nation who knows truth, deposited in them. uh, Teachers of truth were held in high esteem in that day. Even today, the rabbis, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all looked up to because they were ones who were bearers of the truth. And the crazy thing about this is they missed the main thing, they missed the Messiah. They missed the very one of all the prophecies and promises spoke of. In Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, the true meaning of it, nor the power of God. All this truth, and yet yet they missed it. God said through Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge all this truth, all the access to truth, but they miss the central message, the true Messiah. Now, now let me have your attention. This is one of the major themes of this section of Romans. And here's what's going on. I'm sure you've caught it by now. Paul is dealing with objections and questions because the Gentiles are coming into the faith, and they're coming through faith, through grace, not by keeping the law. So all the Jews are kind of like, what's going on? We're the ones, that we're the promised ones. So Paul is dealing with what they're thinking because he's a rabbi, he's a Jew, he's been there, he knows what's going down. And one of the questions that's going on is this, If Jesus, and here it is, if Jesus is the true Messiah, like you say, Paul, then why have the leaders and the scholars and the teachers and the priest rejected as a majority, even the nation, the one you say is our Messiah? Paul, why is it then that the pagan Gentiles are all getting on board, but not the Jews. And Paul's saying, hey, that's a valid question. And he answers it like this. He says, it's not always been the nation as a whole. It's always been a remnant. It has been that way since the beginning. And he would reveal to them things like, you sent in 12 spies to the promised land only two believed. You killed your, your prophets and you stoned them. After God took you through the Red Sea and, and, and you were, you were uh, delivered mightily by Moses, then the nation as a whole were, were down below as He was receiving God's truth, worshiping in a pagan way, turning their back on the one true God. And he's trying to describe to them what the true righteousness is. It's not keeping law. It's not being religious. It's not rituals. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, he's already said to them before, you know, God can raise up sons and daughters to Abraham from stones. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your pedigree. It's not what you work for what you earn or deserve based on your heritage, but it's what you receive. It's a free gift by faith and grace, not by works. And the religious person has a real problem with Jesus Christ. They want to earn their salvation. I mean, the Jews had added to God's law all kinds of rituals and traditions and all kinds of interpretations. I mean, they had piled it on. They fasted, they, they, they strived, they stressed, they, they, they performed a standard that, that most of us couldn't keep or maintain. And they thought because of that, I deserve God's heaven. I deserve God's favor, his blessing. Look how hard I've worked. And then Paul comes along and says, it's not based on your works. It's based on Grace. Religious people today think the same way. Well, I take communion. I've I, I confirmed I was baptized. I do devotions. I, I, my parents and my family, they've all been Christians. It's kind of like I want to accomplish something in my spiritual life. I want to prove to God that I'm worthy. It's kind of like I have a fairly big side backyard, and sometimes I like just to mow it so at the end I can stand back and go, yeah, <laughs> Accomplish something today, or, or pull some weeds and, and, you know, get the flower bed all looking great and be able to stand back after that and go, all right, or, or rebuild a car or an engine or something, be able to step back and say, man, I accomplished something. I, I renovated a house. There, there's, a, there's a feeling attached to accomplishment, a sense of pride or, or look what I did or, or satisfaction, but, but you can't carry that into your relationship with God. You can't do a bunch of religious things and stand back and go, all right, now I'm holy. God, you're a little friendlier to me today, aren't you? No, well, God's like, no, your righteousness are, are filthy rags to me. My, my, my righteousness comes to you only through through Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and the resurrection. I mean, the Jews prayed three times a day, sometimes more. They kept all the rules, all the regulations, but it all was on earning God's favor. They wanted to step back and go, Ah, look what I did. Man, look at that car. It's shining. I waxed it. I, I buffed it. I vacuumed it. I, I, I cleaned it. I detailed it. God says, no, that's not how, how, how I work. It's like Jesus saying to the woman caught in adultery, hey, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I, I don't have to earn it, Lord. No, Go. Don't don't stay in that lifestyle. but I I forgive you. Like the guy who was crippled and he's let down through the roof and the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. They go, what? What does he mean his sins are forgiven? He hasn't done a thing. The religious person would say, what about the commandments? What about baptism? What about prayer? What about service? And Jesus would say, it's my grace is sufficient for you. It's kind of like the kid who went to church. His parents let him go with a friend. They were very religious, but they, they never went to church. They just felt like they had done all that. They were, might call them today, people don't say they're religious, they say they're spiritual. You've probably heard that. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Okay. Well, the kid came home from church and, and he told his parents, Mom, Dad, he's all excited. He said, today I got saved. The parents were like, What do you mean you got saved? Well, it was amazing. God did it. So his dad kind of sat him down and said, okay, you tell me what God did and what you did. The little boy just thought and thought and thought. And finally he said, dad, the best I know, I did the sinning and God did the saving. And that's kind of how it works. We're good at sinning. He's good at saving. And he washes us and cleanses us. You say, well, John, aren't we supposed to do good things? Yeah, faith without works is dead. But we're not given salvation because of doing good things. It's kind of like the drowning man out there. You know, if he's drowning, he can't swim. There's nothing he can do to save himself, and you go out there and save him, or you throw him a rope or a life preserver, and you drag him into the shore. Well, he wants to show his appreciation. He wants to give thanks to you. He wants to do something for you and that's what it's like i think when we're when we're saved by christ we're we're drowning in our sins we're drowning in ourselves. we're drowning in our inability to know god and he comes and he saves us and we don't do those good things because they bring salvation but out of gratitude for being saved out of the transformation that comes from the heart he tells us in romans chapter 10 For they being ignorant, verse 3, of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the completion of the law to all who believe. He's the final sacrifice. He's the veil that's rent from top to bottom, and now we have access to God. The law has done its work, that's what he's saying. It has revealed to us that, boy, we just can't keep it. We, we, We can't find ourselves, you know, able to maintain it. It's revealed our need for a savior. And that need has been fulfilled finally by a Savior who has come to fulfill its price. He's God's gift. He's God's work. And man's part is just to believe and to receive and to accept the salvation that he offers. Jesus tells the story of two men who go down to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. And the Pharisee is, is praying to himself, and he says, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm not like other men, especially this tax collector. He says, I tithe, I, I pray, and, and, he, and he was talking about all the things that he had done. And the tax collector says, just beat himself on the chest and said, Lord, have, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And in the parable, Jesus says the tax collector was the one who went home justified. Not because of all the things he had done. I'm not under the law, but because of Christ, he fulfilled, he, he lived a perfect life no one else has, and he was a sacrifice for our sins. You can never do better than what Jesus Christ did for you. For Christ is the end, verse 4 of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. And he quotes Leviticus chapter 18. You live by the law, if that's how you're going to please God, then you have to keep all of it. Break one part, you're toast, dude. You've got to keep it all. No one ever could. No one ever did, except for Jesus. But the righteousness, verse 6, of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, which is the word of faith, which we preach. God never required, even in the Old Testament, just the external keeping of the law. But he would say oftentimes in the Old Testament, circumcise your heart. Your heart is far from me. You worship me with your lips, or you, your feasts and your festivals, he would say, are, are, are not enough for me. Being good enough to go up to heaven, as it says in verse 6. We don't bring salvation down through prayer and fasting and, and keeping rules. We don't force God to come down on our level by us practicing some rituals or religious lifestyle." In verse 7, he, he talks about the resurrection. And here's the thinking. I, I want you to, to, to kind of know what these verses are saying. They're kind of difficult. Mankind has always wanted and still does to know the, the meaning of life. What's it about? How do I know God? How, how, do, I, how do I understand spiritual or supernatural things? How do I get up into the heavens and and bring God down to where I know him and understanding? To be free from my weaknesses, my my guilt, my my struggle, my hurts, my emptiness. This is kind of the cry of humanity, if you will. And so we think, okay, I'll meditate. I'll I'll lift myself up to God. I'll yoga eyes. Nothing wrong if you're doing yoga or wearing yoga pants. (laughs) Some shouldn't, but it's okay. (laughs) I'll take mushrooms and expand my mind. I'll seek a guru. I'll ascend into the unknown and, and, and go up and bring God into my life. This is what this passage is saying. Men want to do and try to do. So a new religion is born. And there's all kind of crazy ways that people want to find God and and say, I'm spiritual. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And the person of my son, I'll become like you, I'll relate to you, I'll understand your hurts and your needs, and I'll die for you, and, 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 and I'll rise again to assure you that I'm real and that what I've done is accepted and true, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's like it says in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and various ways, all through the Old Testament and in ancient times, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He said, this is my final voice. This is my sacrifice. These verses, who will ascend, who will descend, uh, how do you get to God? That's the question that's being asked. And the Muslims, you know, they take their pilgrimages to to Mecca and Medina. The Scientology people, you know, they go through all these levels of where one day they're clear and they, they become who they were created to be. The Hindu seeks to become free from the law of karma, so no longer will they have to go through continuous reincarnations trying to earn their way to God. There's all kinds of New Agers with Eastern mysticism through metaphysical and psychological ways of getting to God. They, they teach breathing and chanting and drumming and they create an altered conscience and, and they 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 want to deal with their hurt and their pain and their problems. And they say, oh, they're just illusions. And I can think my way and meditate my way and chant my way above them. You don't have to go up, you don't have to go down. He gives us the answer. He continues this line of thought. And he says in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We become righteous, he says. Not by trying to go up or go down or all these religious rules and regulations. We become righteous because we believe and trust in Jesus Christ and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. God in the human flesh. Believing in our heart, deep trust, deep, deep surrender and acknowledging that he is Lord. He's Messiah. You believe, you trust and you surrender in his cross. And in his resurrection. The resurrection is the supreme validation of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and hell. And Paul is laying it down. And he says, in fact, if you do that, verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You'll never be disappointed in him. You'll never regret, is what he's saying, trusting and Jesus Christ, when your time comes, you'll never regret. When, when the Lord decides to take you home, however he decides to do that, by rapture, by, by, by some death, by, by oh, whatever it may be, you'll never say, man, I sure wish I hadn't trusted in Jesus. You might regret some other things, but you won't regret that. You'll never regret following him, loving him, serving him, giving to him, trusting him. You'll never regret that. You might regret some other things you do. Man, I wish I would have spent more time serving him. I wish I would have spent more time telling people about him. I wish I would have spent more time worshiping him and getting to know him. But you'll never regret giving your life to him. For there is no distinction, he says in verse 12, between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who come upon him. Paul, what's the deal with the Gentiles coming in and us working so hard and not being able to come in? And Why, don't, why haven't we believed in him? He says, you've been ignorant. From the very beginning, you've been ignorant of what God has been trying to reveal. You isolated yourself and thought you were righteous instead of trusting in his righteousness. The law was not meant to save you. It was meant to reveal to you your need for a savior. And God began to prophesy about him. And finally he came and you were ignorant of his righteousness. And and for whomever calls, he says, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what he says. Whoever. Doesn't matter who you are. I I mean, let those verses sink in. We do the sinning, God does the saving. What a deal is that? And then he begins to to clean us up, and and we we begin to serve him with this great sense and heart of, of, of appreciation and gratitude. But the question is, have you confessed? Have you believed? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Paul says, and he should know a man who who lived under all kinds of rules and regulations and difficulties to try to please God, he came to the Lord. And then Paul completely did a 180, and he said, it's not by works. He said, let me share you the true righteousness of God. Let me tell you how how it doesn't matter if you're Jew or, or you're Gentile. And the Jews were so opposed to the Gentiles, saw them so pagan and so carnal in the way they ate, the way they dressed, the way they did, everything. But in verse 13, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The young, the old, the bad, the good, the late, the early, it doesn't matter who they are, what race, what religion. Call upon the name of the Lord. Je- Jesus calls us to come to him. And he says, I offer you life. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you change. I offer you n- newness. Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me. And they followed him and said, wow, we, 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 we came to know him. We believed him. We, we saw him. We handled him. Do you know if, if you applied to go to the University of Harvard, most of us now some of you this might not apply to most of you would not be accepted i know that comes a great shock right some of you if you tried to get into some of the golf clubs in north carolina up in those mountains they would look at you and go uh-uh. sorry you have to be practically born into this club if you want to go to sam's club you got to pay to get in. you got to have a little card. If you want to go early, it better say Sam's Plus on it. You're not getting in. It's harder to get into Harvard and country clubs and Sam's clubs than it is into heaven. And that's the difference between religious people and those who have been freed by the gospel. We want to pay our way into some club i i they opened a new uh kind of club the other day in, in pensacola i don't know if you know about it they tore down the old sears building over in pensacola and they built some kind of new uh, warehouse shopping place called bj's it opened friday so my wife said hey you want to go i'm off on friday She says, hey you want to go over to bj's i go bj's yeah it's a new superstore over in pensacola we should check it out okay let's go so we drive over there The parking lot is crammed full of people. I go, this is not a good idea. (laughs) She she goes, no, let's just go in and see. I can kind of see what's happening here. No, come on, you old whatever. (laughs) So we go in, and I'm telling you, it is so crowded. I, I can barely get down the aisles. People are like, got shopping carts and lines from here to the foyer to check out. I walked past this one lady. She, all she had was some hand wipes and one other thing, and I stopped, and I looked at her and I go, you must really need those hand wipes to stand in, to stand in this line. And she goes, well, I'm in the line. And I looked at Lynn. I said, let's get out of here. Literally, you could barely get around. I so said, we'll come back a, another Time. And, and then I, I said, Well, if I want to buy something, what do I got to do? The lady said, Oh, you, you have to buy a card over there. And the line was like, I said, Or oh, you can go online. I go, Okay. And, 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 and I stood there and I thought, I, walking out, it was so crowded. I asked the lady who was standing by the front door, said, Is there a hurricane in the Gulf that I don't know about? Yeah. <laughs> what's going down? But it, it's harder to, to buy something there that day than it is to get into heaven this is the wonderful thing about heaven, the wonderful thing about the Lord, as even though he does call you to leave your old life behind, he opens the doors of heaven wide and says, whosoever will may come. And here's what I found was true. When I came to Christ, I was about as far away as you could get knew nothing about God or the Bible I I wasn't living any kind of lifestyle that would earn me any kind of righteousness and I knew it but when I came to Christ and I trusted in him and I confessed with my mouth and I believed in my heart something happened on the inside that radically changed me and I wanted to live a life of gratitude and appreciation for what he did and as I learned more and more about who he was I just found myself falling deeper and deeper in love with him recognizing you know what he did it all and now all I can do is spend the rest of my life saying thank you Lord and trying in some way to be surrendered to him that would show that because faith without works is dead But it doesn't mean that faith with works saves me. There are two different categories. One is you live for him. The other is you can't live without him and without his righteousness. So he says, whosoever will may come. But if you come, hey, I'm going to change you from the inside out. He doesn't force you. He doesn't pressure you. He doesn't push you. But he does say, you have to choose it's your choice and I realize that God has already chosen by what he's done on the cross and I love the statement that someone made once he said if you don't want to go to heaven then you have to walk over my dead body Jesus says to go to hell and it's true he's made it very clear very powerful from from the beginning of the old testament to the end of the new testament you have this amazing picture of god's righteousness being revealed in truth and i think we live in a time when it's what it's when it's so apparent that the world is just one big family something occurs in china hey it occurs in america the the, the finances get stirred here they rock the boat over here. And I think God is rocking the world. He's showing the world that it's small, that he's coming soon. And I love this statement uh, that, that it says here, uh, that if you confess with your mouth, and, and confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised Him dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put in to shame, will not be disappointed. And I I know that we all go through disappointments in life, but you'll never be disappointed in what he has done for you, and you will worship him for all eternity because of it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.